Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning and uh, happy happy Easter. It's it's great to uh, see everyone here. I know that uh, some of you uh, are are here with uh, with friends and family, and I want you to know that that we've been praying uh, toward today. We're excited to be together, excited to uh, to celebrate life in Jesus, and excited to. Uh, to be together on this uh, Sunday morning. Some of you uh, hopefully got a, a cup of coffee on your way in. Maybe you uh, saw the photo booth, had a chance to take a picture with your family and friends. Uh, if you're hearing me say that now and you're thinking, Mark, I came alone, I don't have any family and friends, uh, I want to offer my services. I would love to take a picture with you in the photo booth later. Um, or if you're just now thinking, you know what, Mark, I have family and friends, but I don't like my family and friends that I'm here with. Again, I would like to offer my services to take a picture with you in the photo booth. Or if you're thinking, Mark, I have them, I love them, I'm going to be honest, you're better looking than my family and friends. Again, I would like to offer my services uh, to the photo booth with you later. If, if that's, up, you know, and I hope that if your mom is with you, she's not already mad at me that I, I just said that I'm better looking than her. We both know it's true, but okay, but you don't have to, you don't have to make your mom feel awkward. So anyway, I uh, hope that you're here. Hope that you had some coffee. Hope you'll get a picture in the photo booth on the way out and hope that you're having a good time. And I hope that you feel at home. I know that uh, sometimes... Uh, being in a new place or, or being uh, in a church can, can feel a little weird. I want you to know, uh, before we started Movement Church five years ago, I was on staff at a church up in Powell. I was a student pastor and, and loved that church, but I'll never forget my first Easter there. I was, I was sitting there, I was hanging out, sitting with my wife, and, and the pastor walked up and he, he, he came up to the stage and he said, he is risen! And I thought, all right, it was pretty normal, you know, like I was like, that's not weird. I grew up in church. I'm a Christian. My family went to church. When he says he, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is risen. Yeah, that's good. And I'll never forget that everyone around me, without skipping a beat, all of a sudden they just said, he is risen indeed. And I started looking around and I thought, what kind of cult have I gotten myself into? What is, what is going on here? And I don't, I don't mean to mock tradition or mock that statement. I had just literally never heard that in my life. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that churches said that. I didn't know pastors said that. I didn't know anything. And so I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I hope that that is not your experience today. I hope, I hope that, that you can feel at home. I hope that you feel like you belong here. And our goal is, is simply this, just for, for us to talk about the story of Jesus today, for us to talk about the Easter story. We've been praying for today. We believe that God has some divine appointments, that God has put people here uh, who maybe are still in the discovery phase and figuring out exactly who Jesus is and what that means for their life. And so our goal is to just explain the, the story of Easter, to explain who Jesus is and to talk about that and explain God's plan for your life. And so for us to know the story of Easter... We have to get to know the main character, right? We have to know who Jesus is. And so I want to just talk about that briefly today. Many of you know that Jesus came to this earth as a baby. You know that because we celebrate that at Christmas. You know that because we, we talk about that. Jesus came to earth as a baby. People were expecting him to be this, this mighty king. Many people had seen that talked about in the Old Testament. and They thought he was just going to come and lead and conquer and he kind of threw everyone a curveball and didn't show up exactly how they thought. But he was sent to this earth on a mission by God. He was sent to this earth with a purpose. And he was sent to this earth because we need him. He had a, a normal childhood, I would say, for a, a Jewish boy in that day and age. And, and was raised. And, and there wasn't a lot of fanfare. But at the age of 30, Jesus began what is known as his public ministry. Jesus began traveling, teaching, performing miracles, 
and crowds began to gather and, and to follow him. And he recruited, he gathered his 12 disciples, the main people that he would invest in, the people that he would teach, the people that were his inner circle and the ones that he would pass his ministry on to. And those were the ones that he was trying to, to invest in. But there was a, a timeline at work. And so his only job was not just recruiting and training those disciples. He fulfilled his earthly ministry. And there was really one more thing that had to happen as the final chapter of his earthly ministry came to a close. And so that part of the story is traditionally what we call the Easter story. It's traditionally the part that we talk about, that we celebrate this time of year. And honestly, the part that some of us are in the dark about. And so there was a time that Jesus got his disciples together just a few days before he was going to give his life. And he, he began to tell them and remind them, hey, this is what's going to happen, and yet, ironically, they didn't get it. He got them together for a meal, he broke a piece of bread, he held up that piece of bread, he looked them in the eye, and he said this, talking about this piece of bread, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he took a, a glass of wine as he got together, and he held it up as it was poured, and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so these disciples were hearing this. These disciples knew Jesus. He had taught them. They had traveled with him. And yet this message wasn't quite connecting. He was reminding them one more time, but they, they weren't getting it. They had seen his life and his ministry, and they didn't really connect the dots. In some weird way, there was a disconnect. There was a fog there. And how do we know that there was a disconnect? Because one of his own disciples came to, to be the one who betrayed him, the one who would, who would sell him out, the one who said, hey, these guys don't like you. They, they're tired of you stirring people up and, and teaching and having this ministry. They want to kill you. You know what? I'm going to sell you to them. I'm going to sell some information. I'm going to tell them where you're at so they can come and get you. And, and so one of his disciples did that. Another one of his disciples, he said, Jesus, I'll, I'll love you forever. I'm, I'm, I'm all about you. I'm, I'm totally in. I'm all in. And Jesus said, hey, I appreciate you saying that, but that's, that's not true. In fact, in these, in these next couple of days, as, as my name becomes a really bad name around this part, and as, as people begin to, to talk poorly about me, and as I go to trial and some things happen, you're going to deny me. You're going to turn your back on me. And this guy said, no, not, not me, Jesus. And, and yet that is exactly what happened. And so these people who had been intimately following Jesus, these people who had been a part of his inner circle began to even turn their, their backs on him. And that's probably, if we're being honest, a little descriptive of you and I. There are moments in life, maybe when we're younger, maybe when we're older, maybe recently, that we felt like, hey, we're in a fog and we're not really connecting the dots. And, and maybe if we're being honest, we've turned our back on Jesus and not understood what he was doing. And so the ministry of Jesus had grown and made waves, but Jesus also had enemies. And there were people who wanted to put an end to his ministry and wanted to put an end to to his life. And so we want to just simply tell that story today. And so I want to invite you to read and, and hear that story along with us. And so if you've got a Bible in front of you, I'd invite you to open it. If you don't, there's a Bible under your chair in the seat in front of you, behind you, beside you, next to you. Somewhere there is a Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter excuse me, Luke chapter 23, and we're going to uh, just be talking through this story. As we read it, I want you to, to follow along. It's on page 806. And we're going to read this story together and simply just see exactly what Jesus accomplished, what unfolded, and what happened. And so Luke 23, verse 1, page 806, we want to read this together and see what Jesus wants to, to teach us, what he wants us to know for our lives today. It says this in, in verse 1. 
Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priest and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. We'll skip down to verse 13. It says this. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I will have him flogged and then I will release him. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Verse 22 says this, For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I will have him flogged, and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder, but he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. We'll skip down to verse 32 where the story continues it says this two others both criminals were led out to be executed with him when they came to a place called the skull they nailed him to the cross and the criminals were also crucified one on his right and one on his left talking about Jesus Jesus said father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44 continues and says this, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. 
This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they had finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. We'll continue reading. Verse 24, I'm sorry, chapter 24 says this. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, the disciples, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Verse 13 says this, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things, Jesus asked The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said that his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining all of the scriptures, the thing, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn with us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Verse 35 says this. Then the two 
from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And he, as he spoke, he showed them his hands as feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. That's the story. That's, that's the Easter story. And I don't think that I can capture it better. And so I wanted us to read it and hear it directly from scripture today. Because as that story unfolds, it tells a, a powerful thing. It shows us that, that even some of these people who were closest to Jesus, even these people who had been with him, who had been taught by him, who had been his apprentices, who had walked and traveled and slept beside him and, and been in all of these places, they, they didn't really understand what was going to happen. And they, they doubted God. They fell short of God's standard. And scripture tells us that, that all of us fall short of God's standard, that we have sin in our lives and our, our hearts. And in some way, we doubt God's plan. We doubt what God is going to do. We doubt that we can trust God completely. And so we, we kind of cut corners and, and trust ourselves and try to take care of ourselves and look out for ourselves. And everyone in this room has done that in some way. Everyone in this room has offended God because God is perfection. God is holy. God is perfect. And God's standard to be in his presence and be around him is that we should be up to that same standard. And yet we all fall short. And scripture tells us that the price of falling short, the price of being distant from God, the price of being disconnected from God is that we don't deserve to be in his presence. We deserve to die. And so our lives are walking this dead end road away from God. Our, our lives are walking a road only looking out for ourselves. And yet scripture tells us as this story proved, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait on that day to say, hey, some of my inner circle doesn't get it. Let me, let me explain it to them again before I give my life. Let me make sure that they understand this before I die. No, he took on this attitude. I, I know that they won't understand why this is happening now. I know that they don't get this. I know that there will be people who don't understand this for years, and yet I'm still going to serve and love and honor these people. I'm going to give my life and give myself completely. And so the death penalty, the separation from God penalty that you and I deserved was paid by someone. It was paid by God's son, Jesus Christ, who he had sent to earth on a mission. And so Jesus died for those non-committed, those confused disciples, and he died for you and I, even as we've been non-committed and, and confused disciples, and even as sometimes we don't understand exactly what is going on. 
Somehow Jesus' disciples had missed this and were in a fog and hadn't connected the dots and didn't really understand until he showed them and then he showed them again and then he told them and then he told them again and eventually something clicked. Jesus didn't give up on them. He loved them and he gave his life for them. And when you and I are, are in the fog, when we're, when we're disconnected, when we don't understand what's going on, Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus loves us. Jesus is committed to us. And he gave his life for us in spite of all the things that we do that are wrong. And as I think today about Easter and I think about uh, where we are in, in America and the American church, Easter has taken on this, this, this giant happy holiday, right? We, we, we get really excited. We think about a lot of things. We go to church and we think, hey, what service are you going to? Are you going to the sunrise service? Are you going to the early service? Are you going to the late service? Make sure you get a donut. They're going to have donuts and make sure everybody wears a pretty dress and we, we have all of these things and all of this, this stuff that we explain and we retell this story, but it's easy for us to forget as we look back at this story Those closest to Jesus, those who were in intimate relationship with Jesus, were confused. It wasn't until that evening that Jesus' own disciples actually saw him and understood things and understood exactly who he was and what he had done and what had taken place. For most of that first Easter, the disciples spent their time trying to make sense of the empty tomb and the story of these two women and and Mary and the disciples who had seen him on the road to Emmaus. And for some, their Easter morning is filled with this glorious sense of, I know what happened, I I know what took place, I know exactly what unfolded, and I'm good. And yet we have to understand that for the disciples, they themselves were in a fog and didn't understand exactly who Jesus was, exactly what he had done, and exactly what that meant for them. Their assurance didn't come until the end of a very confusing day. And the reason that we wanted to highlight the Easter story today is because I I think that there are many of us who would say, yeah, I kind of know some of the characters. I know know this happened and then that, yeah, this guy died. And and yet I don't think that we've, we've really seen the fog lifted where we could say, this is who Jesus is. We've never heard that that Jesus was the son of God and Jesus didn't deserve to die. Jesus didn't deserve to be accused of terrible things and he didn't deserve to be punished but he came and willingly sacrificed and and took on this punishment because of the punishment that was owed to us. We've never heard that he was a perfect sacrifice and was able to wipe our slate clean and erase all of these terrible things. And we've never heard that he loves us and doesn't give up on us and came to give his life for us. We have a chance this morning to talk about that. We have a chance this morning as we've, as we've read this to, to step back and, and clearly see Jesus loves us. Jesus came to this earth on a mission to give his life as a sacrifice for us. In the same way that Jesus gave his life for us, we can respond and live our lives for him. Maybe you've never heard that story. Maybe you've never known that order. Maybe just for the first time, the the fog is lifting and you're clearly seeing this is who Jesus is. This is how much he loves you. And he gave his life for you. We're gonna have a chance this morning as as we pause here for some people to celebrate that. The Bible tells us that when, when we've given our lives to Jesus, when we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, when we've been found in Jesus, that that should be something that, that you can see as you look at our lives. And so we have some people with us this morning that are just going to, to come up and, and tell us their story. 
So this blue glowing orb that we were joking about before is going to help us illustrate what we've come to know as, as baptism. Baptism is, is simply this. It's a, it's a chance to publicly identify as a follower of Jesus. Sometimes that's at a, a younger age. Sometimes it's at, a, at an older age. I, I believe if the disciples were here, they would have said before the death of Jesus, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet they came to understand that in a whole new way. And I'm sure they would have said that their lives took on a, a new path after that. And so this morning, we, we have some people who are going to come up here and are just going to publicly say, I identify with Jesus. If you were to, to jump into this water, this water would completely cover you and would be everywhere. And, and so they're going to be saying that same statement. Jesus covers every part of me. Jesus has my life. He has my relationships. He has every part of me. That, that you were inspired by those stories, just quick examples of people who have wanted to follow Jesus with their lives. I heard a, I heard a story recently of a, a man who was uh, taking scuba diving lessons and he was out in the ocean with his instructor. They weren't out very far and, and all of a sudden they, they looked beside them and, and there was a man about 50 yards away who was, who was drowning. And so this, this guy's scuba instructor just, just left him there and took off for this man that was drowning. And he, he got over there and he, he swam to him. He worked hard to get to him. And, and, and he, he grabbed this guy and he was trying to help him. But he looked over and these two together were just flailing and arms were kicking and water being splashed everywhere. And, and as this guy retold the story, he heard his scuba instructor say to this man who was drowning, he said, you've got to stop struggling. Stop struggling. You've got to let me swim for you. You can't, you can't do this. He said he was laughing because he was thinking, yeah, this guy's already proved that. I mean, he interrupted my scuba lesson here and, and he can't swim, he's drowning. You'd think he would know that, but he just kept trying to, trying to swim. And that's very descriptive of, of how we try to live our lives. We try to act like, like we're enough. We try to act like, like we can do it. We try to act like if we just swim harder, if we just try harder, if we just get better grades, if we just get more scholarships, if we just make the team, if we can date this person, if we can get a promotion, if we can move into that new neighborhood, if we can go on so many vacations a year, then we'll be happy and that'll be enough. And the reality is, as the story of Easter told us today, we are, we are flawed and we are broken and we are in need of Jesus. And that didn't catch God off guard. No, that's, that's why he sent Jesus because of our need for a savior, because of our need for someone to pay the price for our sins, because of our need for someone to, to build a bridge so that we could know God. We were created to know God. We were created to be in relationship with God, and yet we find ourselves separated by, by our sin. And so Jesus came and, and let his life, let his sacrifice, let the cross be a bridge so that we can walk across that bridge. We can take a step of faith and we can say, Jesus, I don't deserve to know you, but because I know who you are and I know what you did and I believe in that and I trust in that, I have the privilege of knowing you. I have the privilege of being in a relationship with you. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're saved by the grace of God, a gift that we don't deserve through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's our belief, but it's also that step of faith and that step of obedience, the two combined that, that saves us. And so as we've told the, the story of Easter today, I want to offer the decision that comes with that.
and you saw that, that we, we had this, this flower that was coming to bloom, maybe you saw a Facebook ad, maybe you saw an Instagram post, maybe you got an invite from your friend, maybe you've been seeing us talk about that. We didn't, we didn't pick a flower just because we, we like flowers, but we think they tell the story because when, when flowers first come out of the ground, I don't think anyone would look at them and say, oh, look at that plant thing there. That's, that's really pretty. And yet in due time, in God's plan, they bloom and they, they come to to represent growth and and life. And as we understand who Jesus is and that Jesus gave his life for us and that we can give our lives to him, we can live our lives for him, I believe we represent that same thing. We show growth and we show life and it's not our growth in life, it's his life in us. So I want you to know that if you feel like your, your life has been Lacking, if you feel like you've been walking a dead-end path, if you feel like you've been searching and trying to be enough and just trying to, to get by and, and nothing seems to change in your, in your heart, I want you to know that what you're missing is Jesus. And Jesus offers us a relationship with him. He offers us salvation. And that relationship with him and that salvation is a simple decision away today. Maybe, maybe you're someone that you would say, man, I, I've been walking with Jesus or I thought I was walking with Jesus and yet today I feel like one of those disciples. I feel like for some reason the parts of the story weren't clicking or maybe like Joe said in his testimony, I took my eyes off of him and I've been trying to swim and, and do this on my own and I just can't do this on my own anymore. I need a savior and I need Jesus. Whether this is a, a first-time decision, a first-time commitment or maybe what you feel like is a recommitment, I want you to know that we have that, that next step card in your chair. And we would love to see you just mark on there. Today, I want to know more about a relationship with Jesus. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. And as some baskets will pass in a minute, you can, you can put that in those baskets and, and we'll follow up and we'll talk to you because we want to see like a, like a flower that, that that relationship with Jesus is planted in your heart. That relationship with Jesus takes shape and grows and starts today. Let me pray as we close. And, and if you want to make that decision, I pray that you'll listen to this prayer and think about this if it's your desire today to say Jesus I need you I want to know you I want to be in a relationship with you I pray you just take a moment to say Lord I'm I'm not perfect I've sinned and I've messed up God I've, I've sinned against you and I need you thank you for sending your son Jesus I want his death and his sacrifice to to bring me close to you. I want to put my faith and my trust in you. I want to let you swim. I'm giving up control and giving up everything that's defined me, Lord, because I, I want to be found in you. If that's a decision you made today, I pray that you'll be marked by these stories of baptism we saw a public display there's nobody looking around but will you will you just put your hand up to say that I, I, I prayed I want to begin a relationship with Jesus today I've put my faith in Jesus I want to be found in Jesus go ahead put your hand up put it up high and be, be proud of that say that to the world I've, I've put my faith in Jesus maybe you would say I've been in the fog I've been confused I want to recommit rededicate my life to Jesus today will you let us let us know that just slip your hand up and, and say that
excited. We're so excited that, that, that some of you have chosen to do that today. I pray that uh, you'll take a, a moment and fill out that next steps card and, and slip that in the basket just so that we can, we can connect and we can encourage you. Today is, is not the end. Today is the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. And as we continue to sing and worship, we want to respond to God. We want to say, Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for showing us love. So let's continue to do that as we celebrate.